It's time for the Rex Chapman Show with super sexy Mr. Josh Hopkins. You know what today is, Josh? Uh, what is today? Rex today is today is Stephen Curry Day. <laughs> Stephen Wardell Stephen Curry II is coming on the show. <laughs> oh, I, I wish he was like in a better rhythm playing right now, right? It's an awkward time for him to come on and be like, why aren't you playing better? I know. I mean, he's only averaging like 40 over the last 10 or 11 on 55% shooting. The last person to do be on a tear like that over a 10, 11, 12-game stretch was Michael Jordan 31 years ago. Mm. Guy he is rolling. He wasn't shooting that many trays. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm just uh, – I'm excited. I'm excited for you to talk to uh, – Little I'm baby Stefan is what too. I, yes. Uh-huh. So, you know what? Let's not, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. Hold on. One thing I got to tell you, cause we always do this. We're going to do, uh, oh. we do a little bit called book club. Oh yeah. Explain, um, you know, something we've been reading, uh, reading for the week. I haven't read anything of you. Uh, no, not this week. I haven't. All right. So. That's been book club. Okay. Let's get into your buddy. What's his name? Full name? Wardell Stefan Curry the second. Let's go. Yeah. Thanks for joining, uh, taking taking time out of your busy, busy schedule right now. Meet my best buddy, Josh Hopkins. Josh, what's happening? How you oh, doing? not much, man. Just so appreciative of you taking your time to join us for the next three hours. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's really, really kind of you. And I know you and Rex have a good little history. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Absolutely. Rex? We do. We do. Uh, you know, obviously, you're, I wish you were playing a little bit better. So we had something more to talk about uh, right now. Try to we'll get into that. I tried to prime it very, very well. So I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and I do want to talk. We want to talk about all that. But I, I want to give you a chance real quick. Uh, something pretty significant just happened in America uh, with uh, the conviction of Derek Chauvin for the death of George Floyd. And I know you've uh, had your your thoughts on it over the past year. And I just want to give you an opportunity real quick to, to say what's on your mind, what's on your heart. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this is obviously a great day considering the alternative. Um, there's a lot of reactions now in terms of how this last, well, since May of last year. So this last 10 months is uh, 11 months has been uh, um, in all communities, but especially the black community and, I think it boils down to like two points. One being this is um, accountability, not justice. This is justice would be if the system uh, were constructed differently. And if, um, you know, the majority of police responded, would have responded in in an appropriate way that George would not be, he would be alive at this moment. Um, But accountability for uh, the actions that were taken. Um, I think a lot of people have talked about it as if you're holding your breath after watching that court case and still not convinced that, you know, these, um, uh, these guilty verdicts would have been, you know, brought back that, that speaks volumes, uh, for how much progress, you know, we still have to make. So this is, um, this is great. This is this is how it should be, um, and we should celebrate this. But we should not let our foot off the gas pedal in terms of um, what we have all done and stepped up and, and held ourselves accountable to, our communities accountable to, law enforcement, um, 
you know, politicians, everybody that has an opportunity to impact change. Like this doesn't mean we, we succeeded. This means we're um, headed in the right direction, but to keep, keep, keep pounding the pavement. So um, I would not want to have seen our country if, uh, if the alternative had happened, let's just say that. I'm with you. I, I very, very well put. And I, I just want to tell you how proud I am of, of you and the league and your, the, your, your buddies in the league, uh, your peers for being outspoken and, and, and saying things that needed to be said. Um, you know, my father, me and your father, we had our opportunities years ago and we saw things and didn't say so. I know how difficult some of this stuff is. And I, I really want to tell you how much it means, not, of course, to me, but just how much you're being vocal and being out there and being educated on these topics, what it means in society, in American society right now. So thanks. 100%. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. The, the interesting part is it might not have been uh, the uh, – the status quo of, of athletes in all sports, whatever to, to speak, but there is a generational change of social media that, and, and just the platforms that we have that um, our impact and our influence and our, the carry of our voice is way different. Um, and so as like you said, fathers and mothers and family members who raised us to see the world a certain way did their job in that respect and now it's on us to to carry you know the torch of of who we know ourselves to be and our communities to be and then now how do you infuse that with the platform that you have so it's uh it's a it's a great time to be alive in that respect so we're gonna do our part very well said you know, uh, well, let's talk some hoops. I'll, I'll give a f- brief overview. Uh, we know each other. I can't believe you're 33 years old now. I know <laughs> for that crazy? 30, 33 years was my rookie rookie year. Uh, and I can I can still I, honestly I want to know how much you remember about your grandfather. Because um, I, I can still remember, you know, we had you guys had four tickets, your family had, and I had four tickets right next to you, but I didn't know anybody. So you guys really had eight tickets. There. <laughs> I, would, I would look up there and I would see you sitting on your grandfather's lap, you know, at one, two years old. And I want to know what you remember about him and, you know, how, how he impacts you to this day. He, uh, I think, Knowing uh, just his presence, patriarch or family or whatnot, and what he instilled in my dad has carried down, you know, to me and my brother and my sister. But uh, the way that just the way that you spoke about him and he passed when I was three and a half, um, the way the respect of which people talk about him and the way that, you know, um, our entire family reveres the name Jack is mm-hmm. It's, it says enough in and of itself. Um, there are vague memories for me of, you know, watching or him being in the backyard of my uh, grandparents' house in, in Grottoes, Virginia, you know, trying to dribble a basketball on some loose pavement and ball going everywhere and him being there. Uh, just the way that my dad talks about him. Um, he was a presence that you can't really escape. And it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really powerful thing. And even to the point now, uh, like I said, he passed when I was three. Um, 
but when I had my, my first son, there was no doubt I wanted to pass down, you know, that name to him. And so my son's name is Ken Ward L. Jack Curry. And uh, it's a pretty, pretty special honor to be able to you know, pass down his legacy uh, to a new generation. So um, still can go back to grottos and see the hoop that my dad learned how to, to shoot on in the backyard. My grandmother still lives in that same house. So, um, you know, eternally grateful for, you know, the principles that he's passed down, you know, to me through my dad. Your dad is that way. Your dad has that presence and I, I see it. We all see it. He's your dad and you might not see it that way, but it's the same. It's just a, it's just a sort of a, it, when he walks into the room, everybody knows he's there and the, and the room is a better place. <laughs> Absolutely. Jump in Josh. What you got for Stefan? Well, I mean, I, I, I I'm scared to death because Rex Rex alluded to it earlier. You're playing really well, like all time. Unbelievable. The talk of the internet, the world, the TV. And I feel like I'm going to be the, the asshole in the dugout with a guy shoot you know, throwing the no-no that's like, hey, your shoe's untied. And the rest of everyone was like, shut the fuck up. Get away from him. So uh, it's, I, I apologize that I'm having to do this, but I'm so excited. I, I just want to ask you two to get into something. Two questions, both of you and Rex. And, and just, this isn't to be talked, but just spit it out. Like, who do you think the best passer ever in the NBA has ever been? Magic, Jason yeah. Kidd, Stockton. CP's in there. Chris Paul, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Nash. Steve yeah. Nash. That's a good one. I mean, Stephen's Steph, Steph, in the conversation. Let's not get that twisted. Okay, okay. Who do you think uh-huh. the best rebounder ever in the NBA has been? Rodman. Rodman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dennis, Wes Unseld, uh, Michael Cage. Uh Guys like okay, that. Okay. Well, well, who do you think the best ever shooter in the NBA is? It's over. There is only one answer, and everyone says the same thing. There's no, well, he it's <laughs> it's Steph. It's Steph Curry. It's if right now there was a, a asteroid heading towards Earth and someone had to hit one three to save the world, there would not even be a vote. It would be you. What you know, anointed in the time that you are still playing. And, yeah. and uh, at, as Steve Kerr recently said, at the peak of your powers, what does that feel like to be the best ever at something and something that so, no one has ever shot a basketball better than you to the layman. And that could be, you know, I'm excited. Someone who's never, you know, uh, makes the best paper airplane ever, best at horseshoes, <laughs> but you're the best at the thing that we really all love. You're, what is that like? Uh, so it's crazy because one, shooting, like you said, shooting the basketball is something that everybody f- thinks they can do. Um, <laughs> we're all not blessed to be 6'8", 6'9", whatever, with a 40-inch bird um, and can play above the rim. I'm, I, I'm obviously not. I got probably 10 dunks in my career. So like to know that people see the way that you play and want to go out to the park, to the rec league, to wherever, and try to emulate what you can do because it seems so approachable. And it's like, I, 
I, I can strong enough to shoot it there. I can, you know, get reps up. I can figure it out. That's one thing where you resonate with a lot more people, um, you know, that skill set in the game. Being in the moment is the weirdest, most awkward part of it because uh, I've always talked about Reggie and Ray Allen as um, the the ultimate tier of shooting and not just with their records, three-point record that Ray still holds or, you know, I passed Reggie this year, so that was an amazing accomplishment. But, you know, the longevity of doing that for, you know, 14, 16, 18 years is something that is awkward to talk about, but also inspiring because I want to get to that point. So, like, me being uh, hopefully past Ray next year, um, I think that's how the numbers kind of shake out. That's something that is going to mean so much to me. Um, because of how much respect I have for the art of shooting the basketball, but to know that you're, I'm trying to create a new wave of how it's done and a new level and stretch, you know, that creativity. Today's episode is sponsored by Sick Basketball. The best shooters in the world use Sick Basketball. Sick is the first smart basketball that automatically tracks, makes, misses, release time, and more. Want to improve your shot and get buckets? Go to sickbasketball.com. We have a special offer for our listeners, 10% off with the code REX10. That's sickbasketball.com and use the code REX10. Check out sickbasketball.com. Also, REX, don't forget, it's sick with a Q. S-I-Q, sickbasketball.com. Am I right? You're right. Well, Stefan, here, here's what I want to say. I I. I'm a little biased, of course. I think you're the I I don't have an MVP vote, but you'd be my MVP this year. And and yes, of course I'm biased. However, I want to go back. Show us your hand. Your hand looks different now. Um I know it's got that knot on it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so what I want to ask you, when you went out, when you were hurt, I was your dad and I were texting like we normally do. You were playing so well. You're playing such great basketball. And I thought, oh, my God, he's toying with the game. And I want to know when you hurt your hand, because it is. It's different now. It looks different. Um, how concerned were you that that might, um, you know, be something that uh, hampers you going forward? I mean, I know you played a long time in the league. Anytime you get injured, there is a little bit of doubt of you know, whether it's significant or not. It's like, you know, I want to get back to full strength and however long that takes, you know, um, got to be prepared for it. And I had two surgeries on the hand and I had uh, some numbness that came with the actual injury that um, was kind of tough to start a siren going on in D.C. Oh, good. Um, there's a no surprise. Yeah, there was a a huge uh, trust and faith factor that I could get back to to 100%. It took almost seven months for full feeling to come back. But I knew if that happened and the time that I had to work on my body and, you know, make sure every other piece of the puzzle was in the right shape that, you know, I could come back, you know, stronger and and better, more fit. Than I, than I left the game and um, I didn't know about the pandemic coming. So I spent yeah. four months leading into playing a glorious one game return before <laughs> the shutdown happened. And then I had another 
uh, basically seven, eight months before, you know, the next season started because we didn't get to go to the bubble. So um, to your point, yeah, it was a little bit of a doubt of if I can't feel my two fingers right hand, like that's going to be a problem. But once I got and got through that hurdle, it was like, all right, I have to really take advantage of this window of time to, you know, get my body in shape, um, you know, get stronger, get more efficient with every movement, work on my skill set that um, I could come back with fresh legs and not be your your normal 33-year-old coming back, you know, on the court. And so I took advantage of it, and hopefully that'll give me some more uh, runway, um, you know, in this prime that I'm in. Well, at, at, I mean, on the tear you're on, averaging right at 40, 55%, 40 on 55% shooting. I, I know I was uh, speaking with Ray Ritter, your guy, Ray. Yeah. Uh, all thanks for him to get, getting this set up. Uh, you, 40 on 55% shooting, the last person to do that over a 10, 11 game stretch was MJ 31 years ago. And your dad and I got to see that up close and personal. And when I say that, it was great playing against Michael. Um, however, at the end of every game, you could walk away if you wanted to going, he's just physically more dominant than we are. He's bigger. His hands are bigger. He, you're doing this at your size. And you're, not, you're playing through and around teams. And, yeah, from the perimeter over teams, but not over at the rim. How are you doing this? I mean – uh, a lot of it is probably, I mean, hand-out coordination, footwork and all that. Uh, and, you know, as a shooter, you're blessed with a certain level of just natural skill, but then you add to that with the work and the reps and, you know, the pursuit of, like, perfection in that respect. Uh, but a big part of it, too, is the conditioning aspect of the game that – uh, I was watching some old school Pistons, Denver Nuggets. <laughs> it's like the highest scoring game in NBA history. Uh, I think like early '90s, and just watching the pace of the game, and I'm analyzing. I'm like, I cover so much more ground, you know, in an average game than what I just watched in that right. NBA Hardwood Classics. And a lot of that is to my advantage because, you know, like you said, I, there are a lot stronger, faster, more athletic guys out there, especially defenders that can try to make your life miserable out there. But I try to counter that with never staying in the same spot, you know, for more than a second, covering as much ground as possible and, and trying to, you know, never get tired. And over the course of four, well, my 30, 45 minutes, wherever I play a game, you're going to tire other guys out and you're going to find more space on top of just being able to use your ball handling and, um, you know, court awareness and IQ and all that type of stuff. So, um, but the biggest piece for anybody, any young kid that's playing the game is be comfortable with who you are as a basketball player too. I, I had some temptations of like, I wish I could, just dunk. I wish I could just drive down the lane and you always get fascinated by what you can't do. Um, you can, you've got that sneaky athleticism. I, I know I, that. <laughs> might have a, <laughs> I have a little taste of it, but the bigger point is like, yeah, you always kind of just like, I see LeBron, you're like, I wish I could do some of the stuff he can do physically. And you kind of can get wrapped or distracted, wrapped up in and distracted by that. Um, but at the end of the day, like I am my own type of basketball player and got to, do what I can to uh, to be successful. So that's uh, I guess that's the message. 
hey, to that I, end I, about ahead, you. Uh, for me, for my entire life, the basketball's already gone, always gone to the next level with like this physical uh, difference, like from Dr. J and then came like Bird and Magic, who were big guys. The skill always continued to go up, always, but they were big guys with that kind of skill. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you had Jordan, which was just like no one had ever seen anything athletically like him. And then you, you Shaquille came into the league and no one knew it was like, this is a different thing. And you got LeBron coming in. Who's like Carl Malone, but like Jordan, you know, this, this physical presence all the time, skill getting better. But to me, you were the first time that the evolution of the game branched out towards skill, simply skill, not like, Oh, he's the fastest, best and most skilled. And where do you, because of that, now you see you, you, you People say you've revolutionized the game. You've heard that a million times and you have, it's a different game. And now other people are following suit and shooting these long three pointers. Where do you see the game going? Like, I know this sounds like an old man, but do you think there will be a four point play someday? <laughs> also the evolution of the player next is the, is the next evolution going to be someone that can, try and, and, and have your hand eye and, and work ethic and shoot, but it's also, uh, you know, Vince Carter, like, like what's the next, what's next for the game and for the players. Or can they just shoot it left-handed? Like, can like, just, I mean, maybe that's it. Just pull left from yeah. 35 whenever you want. What is it? It's a good question. Like uh, if you ask somebody yeah, 30 years ago, when somebody made like 400 in a season, they would say, hell no. Like, it's not even, you mean, do you really shoot 400 threes? You say, mate, right. this one's right. Yeah. And you're allowed to uh, shoot 400 <laughs> <laughs> What is a three-pointer? Uh, I feel like the game kind of will – my prediction would be there's going to be somebody that has literally everything to like the – greatest level because they've seen everything they've one they're going to be blessed with athleticism and height and strength and all the physical attributes you need but then they're going to have seen the style of play that they're going to work on from you know six seven whatever eight years old whenever i started playing for real and develop those skills um where they're going to have like the top five in every category be able to top five dribbler top five pass or top five shooter top five defender like every, <clears throat> every piece of it there's going to be somebody like that um but i will also say the game is probably going to uh not reset itself like uh re- revert to a more traditional style with there's going to be some bigs as well some just physically dominate dominant guys that are going to force the game to kind of revert a little right bit. if Shaq played today it'd be hard to play small ball that game Hundred percent. You see like, a little bit with like Joel and and Jokic right now. They can shoot threes. They don't really want to. It's part of their game. It's not a feature, but they they're still physically dominant. They can you know post up. Joe. I mean, um, Jokic is a much better passer, but Joel is just a physical presence that if you play small ball against him, you're gonna most likely get dominated. Uh, unless you have a Draymond Green and a Kevon Looney on your team. That's right. That's right. I think there's going to be a combination of both where you're going to see some generational talent come that 
He's going to be blessed physically. He's going to have every skill set because they've seen it and they're going to work on it and buy into it. But then I do feel like, you know, the bigs aren't bigs aren't dead in this league either. So it's going to be a, a nice, healthy balance. Four point play. I don't see it at all. I don't think it works geometrically with the core. They're going to have to widen the court and do all sorts of nonsense. And I don't see that playing part of, um, in the future of the game at all. Um, but who knows? Hey, uh, I don't think I've, I've ever asked you this. Um, you weren't, well, you weren't highly recruited, weren't highly sought after coming out of high school. Uh, do you remember the guys that made the McDonald's game <laughs> your year? You know, it's so crazy. I was so far removed from it. Like, I don't even, I don't even remember like looking at the list cause I, it wasn't even on my radar. Right. <laughs> like, I was like a friend of guys, like, Ah, I didn't make it. Who made it? What even that? So, all right. So, you read the list. So, I'd love to. I'd love to know. Yeah, I know. I wish we should come across that. Um, but beyond that, at what point, Stefan, did you did you? And I know you were hungry, and you know you were trying to prove yourself at Davidson constantly. At what point? Did you uh, feel comfort, confident and comfortable that you might be able to make some money playing the game of basketball? There's always the dream um, from the time I was probably eight or nine where you're like, I know what NBA basketball is and I want to get there. But the honest answer is literally after my sophomore year in college, we had um, – just played in the uh, lead eight or the yeah, lead eight game against Kansas. Um, we lost on a last second or we missed the last second shot in uh, Ford field up in Detroit. We're mid major, almost one shot away from making it to the final four. You have some, I'm a sophomore. We have seniors that, you know, led the team the entire year. There's their last game. There's so many emotions. We're in the locker room crying. Uh, an interview started after the game. The first question one of the interview guys asked was like, yo, are you declaring for the draft? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, like, <laughs> uh, I believe it. Like, I'm not even being funny. It wasn't even on my radar. And, after he asked that question, I started thinking like, oh, wait, maybe I, I guess I could. Like, that'd be that'd be crazy. And then I started to actually analyze the situation. I started looking at draft boards at that point. Started to realize um, what I might need to add to my game to be an actual legit professional, um, which is why I stayed an extra year to transfer or transition to a point guard uh, role and be more of a playmaker and a scorer, which is um, how I felt I'd be, you know, best suited to make it to, to the next level. Uh, but yeah, that was the first time I actually um, even thought about it as a legit possibility. Um, but thankfully I made the right decision to come back an extra year to get stronger, work on, you know, seeing the game from a point guard position. Cause I was only six, three, it wasn't a situation where I was going to come in as a shooting guard. So um, things worked out in that respect. You mentioned that run, that Davidson run, that was an all timer. And it was so much for everyone to see because no one had heard really of Davidson for that much. And yeah. for you, not really at all. I know uh, real basketball people knew and because you were a scoring elite 
guy, but the nation after that run had ended and you walked, you know, back onto campus or out, how was your life different from that? Was that the moment you were like, everything's changed? 100%. Um, like you said, our school was 1,900 students, so um, the world in that respect didn't get any bigger. But the, the, the spotlight of, you know, even doing, uh, was it five good minutes on PTI? Um, like all, <laughs> I did a Jim Rome interview on T. I was, all those, like, type of interview requests started rolling in. It was like I went on a uh, late-night show um, with, uh, I forget his name now, tripping. Uh, <laughs> Roy Firestone or somebody. <laughs> what's, the, what's the tall redhead guy? Conan. 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 I did. Uh, I've been did, on there twice. Yeah, I went to I went to New York <laughs> and uh, and did that as a as a sophomore in college, and that's when the world kind of flipped upside down. But granted, to you, I was Del Curry's son for a while in yep. Charlotte, and it was like I knew what it was like to be known around a city, but it wasn't on my own like merits. It was just you know the Curry name. So it was a little different in that respect. But uh, the funniest part was when I got back from from uh, from that game, I had my little laptop in my dorm room, and this is Facebook's early days, you know, me being on there. My, my computer crashed because I had uh, over a 1,000 uh, messages in my inbox. And I, tried to, <laughs> I tried to log in after I got back from the game. The whole computer crashed. All my work was on there. It was, it was a total disaster. <laughs> so that's when it got it got messed up because it was interrupting my 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 academic future. <laughs> I was like, I need a <laughs> freaking computer. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Well. Being, yeah, the one part of it is 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 cool because it's such a small tight knit community in a campus that uh, I could always revert back to that. It wasn't like. You know, you're meeting new people every single day right. in a big, you know, Division One school with 40,000 you know, students. So there was some comfort in that that I didn't, I wasn't gonna get too big headed um, in the moment, and uh, things could kind of stay normal to a certain. My my nephew Ross wrote this question. I asked him, "Do you?" He's a big fan of yours, and he said, "I want to know if it's true." He read that after that run, like the next day, you went back. It was there was some sort of orientation or something, and you actually went out and helped all the kids bring their stuff. The in. OT like, team, like the, the orientation team. Yeah, we and uh, my guy Steve Roster were my teammates, and my college roommate Brian Barr. We uh, we signed up. We got our little fresh T-shirts says OT on it. Orientation team. We're moving into freshmen into their dorms and the whole deal, giving the parents some uh, directions around campus and stuff. You know, I had to keep it, had to keep it. Uh, I want, I wanted the normal college experience. I didn't want to be somewhere where it was just about basketball. So that was fun. Well, that's why God gave you that, because if I had just come off that run, I'd be like, go help kids bring their shit in. Have you seen my hand? I could hurt this. You, you were raised right. My parents, they're terrible. Oh, so good. You know, Stefan, you know, we all the, – the evolution of the game has been – it's just been phenomenal, and watching you kind of take it to another level has been crazy. The I, I say often I was built for this this league and bad shots, bad shots are good shots. Now, you know, running shots on the move, all those shots are good shots. The the one thing that I just find phenomenal is your ability to shoot the jump shot 
from three point range off of the dribble. Mm-hmm. When, when did you start even? Cause look, it, a lot of those shots when you were in college, high school, they would have been considered bad shots. Um, yeah. Were you taking them then? Could you do that then? When did that evolve? When you talk to my dad when I was in high school, they used to get on me and get him real mad because I didn't shoot enough in high school. Then I got to college and uh, I was basically playing off the ball for my first two years. We had an amazing point guard, Jason Richards, who would set me up. He was just such an amazing court. He could manage the court. He had a great feel and knew where I was. It didn't evolve until my junior year when I became a point guard and you're initiating the offense, but you still got to look for your own shot, but also get other people involved too, but you're basically doing everything off the bounce. And that's when that kind of opened up um, you know, that skill set to another level. But then not until like my fourth year in, in the league that I started to really develop the range that, um, you know, I've, I've capitalized on now. And that happened naturally. It's just kind of like when you get to, to the league, you know, you know, you only need this much space, but where that space is kind of changes or it changed for me based on how the teams regarded me. And my confidence just kind of grew from that. And I worked on it and I had the audacity and a coach that let me. I had the audacity to, to you know, put it into action in an actual game. And I'm pretty sure if I started shooting like 20 five percent or something like that i would have got that revoked pretty quick but thankfully i uh, I, I took advantage of it well you, you talk about that audacity and and you know that is that you know coach can only give you a blueprint talk to me for a minute and i've known uh, your your coach and your friend steve kerr for 35 years um talk to me about your relationship with him because he lets you play there's a fine line I think he has to toe between, you know, I, me and your dad will watch a game and you'll have just three ridiculous turnovers and we'll look <laughs> at one another and, and we'll look at Steve and we'll be like, oh, I know Steve just wants to kill him right now, but he knows that he's walking a fine line there because he's got to give great players need the freedom and the liberty to, to make mistakes. Um, talk to me about your relationship with him as a player and then away for a little bit as a, as a person. Well, I have to start with the person because that's how our um, our, that trust and that communication started. You know, as one of the lead guys on the team, when you you get have a new coach come in, you know, it's kind of awkward at first because we had a certain level of success, and he's coming in trying to, like you said, give us the blueprint of how to get over the hump and become a championship contending team. And you know, this is how he wants to make a couple changes and all that. He came in with such humility of. He's like, I know you guys are a great team. I know you've had some playoff success. Um, he's like, I'm just trying to tweak a few things that I feel like, based on his experience and what he saw, were our best attributes that could unlock, you know, us getting to the next level. Um, and sometimes you have coaches that kind of want to be the hero and say, you know, I did this. I brought in, you know, these specific changes, and this is what's going to get us there. He's like, it's just a different. Um, you know, the entrance, if you will, of like how he wanted to, you know, take our success and our foundation as a great defensive team, a really talented offensive team and unlock it. And, um, and that, that for me kind of disarmed me a little bit to be like, okay, I can, I, I can roll with this. Cause you know how much I love Mark Jackson yeah. at the time too. It was a, it was a, it was a big change for me. So 
started there. And then you see how he handles people, how he manages people, how he talks to people, how he um, finds ways to make sure everybody knows their role and uh, and get them to buy into it for the betterment of the, of the entire team. And um, and that, that meant a lot. And then on the court, a lot of that's just kind of the trial by fire. There's a, there's a, we put in our motion kind of system and he knew that that was going to allow us to have, you know, everybody involved, created, you know, good shots, make feature me and clay, you know, as, as, as a great backcourt. And um, there was that one video or one uh, highlight of, I think I hit a shot against the Clippers and I did like seven dribbles between my legs, came back to the top of the key Clay was open on the right wing, but I was in such rhythm. I just turned around and shot it. And you see him over on the court. On the, on the court. <laughs> what is it? And, and then, yeah, I make it. And he puts his hands on his head. He turns around. And he just walks back. I think that's when I broke the, <laughs> I broke the system on, uh, on, yeah, what is it? What is a good play or good, bad, good, bad shot conversation? But uh, there is definitely a give and take on. I just need to uh, be creative myself have the confidence in the flair that I play with Clay, Draymond, and all the same. Um, and and just be mindful of what we're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to go about things. Um, and obviously the success has been proven. So um, it's been it's been it's been a really good ride uh, uh, with him. Got a dog in the back, sorry. I love it. Um, German Shepherd. Uh, so you've talked earlier in this in this conversation about, you know, staying hungry and working and keeping up your craft and, and constantly getting better. Um, and your ath- athleticism seems to be to the naked eye. Maybe, you know, to, as, as good as ever. You, you seem to flow so well. But at some point, those two lines intersect and then they begin to diverge. Do you, how close are you there, do you feel? I know it's tough to even contemplate as an athlete. And because you know that eventually happens, do you enjoy these type of runs that you're on now, these hot streaks more or appreciate them more than maybe you did a few years ago? Great questions. I feel like uh, it's almost an impossible question to answer because if you ask me, you know, five, six years ago, how would I feel as a 33-year-old running around with a brand new team? Like, I would have said, I, yeah, I, I'm still in my prime. I'm probably right in the middle of it or whatever. And then I'm thinking now you look at, you know, how certain guys or certain veterans have sustained that level, um, you know, at this stage in their career. It's, it's There's nothing predictable about it. And that is uh, – that's okay for me to kind of just – be in the moment and uh and really just to your second question enjoy what i'm what i'm doing right now and and really enjoy the work that goes into it because that's not that's what people don't see um the as you get older the awareness of what it takes and the investment of time and uh intentions on you know during the season but mostly in the off season of, of how you can sustain this level is where the real, the real secret for success is, and you know, like I kind of talked about earlier, this this last nine months before the season started was was huge for me to kind of reset and rejuvenate myself mentally and physically. Um, and you know, obviously, I'm I'm reaping the benefits of that right now. And then you talk about like 
anytime you like, uh, there's some, uh, the career marks of guys, you know, 33 and over, over who haven't done what I'm doing right now. Like it's wild. I, it's not something I was you know, trying to do. It's just, you know, I have <laughs> such a confidence in my game that, um, you're trying to starting to, you know, pave a, a new expectation of what it means to, to, you know, thrive at this age and whatnot. So I'm trying to hold on to that. And I talked last thing I talked to, um, like Jason Kidd, who talked about mentally how you it's it, the mental aspect of how you sustain yourself at this level is more important than than anything really. Obviously, you need to be healthy. You need to um, you know be able to wake up and feel good physically. But the mental aspect of staying in the fight, staying competitive, no matter if you're chasing championships or realistically we're just fighting for playoff position right now, like staying locked in there is where. Um, you really set yourself up for that longevity and the ability to stretch as much of your prime as possible. Once you let go of the mental um, uh, commitment to what you do is when the wheels fall off. And that's, that was a, a huge uh, point for me to remember, you know, as, as I go through this. No, uh, yeah, Stephen, I, uh, um, uh, so much we want to hear about uh, from you and ask you, but I know there's plenty of stuff you're passionate about. One is your foundation, um, eat, learn, play. And uh, you guys have fed some 16 million meals since the, since the uh, pandemic started. Talk a little bit about that, please. It's a special, uh, special foundation. Like you said, where me and my wife, um, we've tried to find, our co uh, collective uh, philanthropic, you know, mission and vision. We've done so many things in the community over the years, but um, we never did anything together where we could combine our, our mutual uh, resources and connections and, and interests in terms of how we want to impact the next, next generation and eat, learn, play. It was, um, you know, what came of that and, we launched it back in June of 2019 and, you know, fast forward from there, eight months later, the pandemic started and uh, our three pillars of focus, you know, eat, learn, play. Uh, the, the eat pillar was one that was a dire need. It, it, it has been in, in food insecurity is a huge issue in our country, especially um, in our backyard of Oakland and in the Bay area. Uh, Pre-pandemic, one in four kids go to school hungry. Um, that's a statistic across across the country. Um, and so we were trying to find efforts to to address that need. And the pandemic kicked in, and you realize how many kids rely on their public school uh, systems for you know for meals, for breakfast and and lunch. And when the pandemic happened, school shut down that need grew exponentially. And so you, you, you mentioned that that number of meals distributed over the last you know, uh, 14 months now, uh, closing in on, on 17 million meals. It, it was very fortuitous that we, we launched when we did not knowing the pandemic was coming, but we were able to act really quickly. And thankfully um, because of amazing partners that we get to work with the Alameda County Community Food Bank in, in, in Oakland, uh, World Central Kitchen, who is a national program with uh, Chef Jose Andres, who they uh, they show up and and put programming structures into 
to get meals distributed to the right places, uh, reopen restaurants um, and get some of the workforce back into into business and then help address some of the, the food supply issues um, that were, were arising on a daily because of the pandemic. And so they've been a huge partner as well. Um, so we're we're doing meaningful work and the anytime you're doing anything in, in the philanthropic space, it's an amazing success, but it's also uh, the success is only because there is a growing need. And it's, so it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to celebrate because we're trying to really impact people's lives. And we want to be the village for the next generation of kids and families um, that wouldn't have it otherwise. And so um, anyway, people get involved, elearnplayfoundation.org is, is, uh, is our home. And um we're continuing to to build out our our scale of work across those three pillars, um, and it's been it's been awesome. Fantastic. Hey, uh, I also uh, I saw a story wanted wanted to see where it, how it came about. You invited a an officer and his son to the ball game uh, in Philly the other night. How did that come about? That was a cool cool one. So that's the power of social media, um, like we were talking about. Earlier, I, I came across a video of um, an officer named uh, Joshua who lives in Delaware, and he goes. He was at this park, and he had uh, there's another kid named Rakir who was there, and um, they had a, a relationship and, and a love for basketball. Uh, Joshua was out in the court and was showing off his moves in his full you know, police uniform, and, and Rakir was filming him, but he was commentating on the video. So Kyle goes up, knocks down a shot, and, and the kid goes, oh, that's Curry, that's Curry, oh, that's Curry. So he's, like, hyping him up, talking about he's got a range, he can shoot and all that. And so Joshua appreciated that love. And so <laughs> fast forward a, a, a bit later, um, he comes back, and he's talking to Rakir, and he's thanking him for, you know, hyping him up and showing him love, and he wanted to return the favor. And so he bought him a pair of, uh, of Curry brand shoes and, and – you know, made the kid make sure he felt loved and seen and, and appreciated. And we need more of that positivity, obviously, in, in the world in general. And so it was a cool opportunity when I played in Philadelphia to, to invite them to the game um, and uh, and show them that love back. And so I got I gave her care to the jersey from the other, from the other night and um, some game-worn shoes for uh, for Joshua and some, some curry wearing gear. But, Really, it's, it's mostly just encouragement because what I stand for and all that and, and inspiration and impact can only go so far if other people don't find ways to implement that into their own lives, into their own communities and in their own way. And uh, you know, uh, Josh was he was inspiring to me just because, you know, it's not like he's on some grand stage. He's just doing it to be, you know, to be himself and knows how important it is. And that that meant a lot to me. What do you got, Josh? Now, I, have a, I have a list here of uh, <laughs> all Americans, the McDonald's All Americans from 2006. Okay. All let's right, go. let's go. Right. <laughs> Seth Curry. No, uh, you got uh, Mike Conley, Earl Clark, Javaris Crittenden, Wayne Ellington, Gerald Henderson, Ty Lawson, Greg Oden, Brendan Wright, Thad, Thaddeus Young, Lance Thomas. Vernon Macklin and Scotty Reynolds. Wow. So the funny is I remember all of them. I've seen them at camps and stuff like that, but it is crazy to know uh, uh, 
Is that probably four guys still in the league? Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. That's that's still pretty good. I mean, yeah, yeah. from 2006, that's that's, that's yeah, that's 15 good. years later, man. Right? But yeah, that's 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 pretty good. And then you think about our draft class in 09. So three years later from that, McDonald's All American list. How many point guards were were in that draft? You got Drew Holiday, Tyreek Evans, uh, Ty Lawson, Brandon Jennings, uh, Jeff Teague. Wow. Uh, um, uh, Eric Maynard, uh, Ricky Rubio. Wow, Johnny. I forgot about that. Johnny Flynn too. So it's it's, quite, it's just wild how hard this this game is. You know, obviously in this this level. So, but that's that that All American list is crazy. Thaddeus <laughs> Young, Young is a special. I played against him a couple weeks ago. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, what's it like? We're gonna have Seth on uh, as as soon as possible. Um, but what what's it like playing against Seth? And then also you got your brother brother in law Damian Lee on your own team, married to your, your younger sister Sidel. What's that like? Just having that that family bond there almost everywhere you go. It's crazy, it's surreal. Still to this day, I think yesterday was the tenth game we played against each other. Um, for some, it should be a lot more, but for some reason, we always want to get hurt before uh, <laughs> that matchup. So either one of us misses it. But uh, even you know, talking about that list, like there's only 450 jobs and at this level, and to know that um, we've all taken our different paths to get here, and you know, Seth going to Liberty for a year, playing amazing, getting you know, transferring to Duke going the G League route to 10 days to, you know, get, get a training camp roster invite to now being, you know, signing a four-year, you know, nice deal. Uh, you know, Damian Lee, um, kind of the same, taking a, uh, a a different route to get to this level. And now we're playing, we're teammates. Like, it's it's nuts. And so I appreciate every opportunity that we get to, to, to play against each other and compete. Uh, it brings out – the the love of the game to a whole nother level because you say you know me for 33 years there's times we're in the backyard <laughs> we're, we're acting like we're NBA players and like shooting fake game winners or wearing our, our pops jerseys and stuff and it's like now we got our own we got our own thing so it's uh it's uh it's special for sure how many legit fights in the backyard oh at least at least 15 yeah. <laughs> so so you ask you ask Seth. Seth had this thing where we would play one on one, and and obviously I'm big brother. I, I'm supposed to win. He'd get me every once in a while, but he had this thing where he caught he caught a foul, and I'm like, no, that's not a foul. Like it literally didn't touch you, and I wouldn't give him the foul. He'd literally take the ball and just walk off the court, and he but he knew I what I wanted to do was play. He knew I wasn't gonna just let him walk off, so he <laughs> played that card every single time. He's like, "No, nah, I'm I'm done, I'm done." He walked off with the ball in his hand. I'm like, "No, nah, you really going?" <laughs> he would keep the ball, <laughs> keep the ball, and walk off. And, uh, uh, it's a hell of a move, though. It's a hell of a, it's a trump card every single time. But I just wanted to hoop. I just wanted to hoop, and he knew I wanted to hoop, and he wanted to hoop. So we, he was, the game within the game still exists even to to last night. So I love it. I love it. You got anything else, Josh? I know I want to go all night, but yeah, all no, day, um, all night. 
What's your favorite movie? Uh, uh one serious, one funny. Uh, okay. Wedding Wedding Crashes is the funny one, and uh, the <laughs> Count of the Count of Monte Cristo is my my favorite series. Really? Whoa. <laughs> Well, that's that's I haven't heard nicely that. Well, done. What about that? Do you do you really enjoy? What about that movie? Did uh, overcoming dire odds and just that level of perseverance. There's a there's just it gets me every single time. Uh, okay, um, little on the nose, but yeah, okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I see it. I see where you where you Absolutely. came to like that because six foot three, nobody wanted you, and here you are. It's beautiful. Glad it to see you. What about your favorite? Uh, who's your favorite actor? Oh, that's a go. Uh, Jamie you got actor friends. Remember, be careful. Mm. No, I got <laughs> Jamie Fox is he's up there. He's, that's he's a good one. Yeah. All right, front row center to any concert, any performer, anyone you want to see, dead or alive. Mm. Who is it? <laughs> uh. Dead or uh, Prince? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Let's go. Well, Let's go. Well done, L. Stephen Curry. Well done. The All second. right, and last thing, I'll let Rex let take you out. But we did ask your dad this too, and um, like, well, like I said earlier, if, if one shot to save the world, one three pointer, and it can't be anyone named Curry. Who do you got to save the world? Clay Thompson. Now, I, and, and, Woo! and Clay. That was fast. Boom. That was yeah. fast. He didn't need anything else. Well done. Anything else. Okay. Well, buddy, Wardell, Stephen Curry II, thank you so much. I love you, buddy. Come back sometime. Uh, do it again. Stay on this roll and continued, continued health. Uh, real quick, are you the MVP this year? I mean, I got to be. I got to be. Okay. All right. I, pro I probably it. won't get it, but I get I mean, whatever. No, 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 don't say that. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. Uh -uh. Keep We're going like this, there. and th that nobody will be able to. I'm just you setting keep the, this I like, going. I like to, I like to be dramatic sometimes, so I just I, I'm just setting the setting the table. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. All right, love you, buddy. Thank you. Oh, Y'all too. Hey, thank Continue you. Man. Help. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Okay, Josh. <laughs> that was Wardell Stephen Curry the second. What do you think, bud? He sure didn't disappoint. He sure didn't disappoint. What a, oh, what a, I mean, how it's amazing to me that people that we've been talking to that are this successful are this nice. What a great guy, right? Agreed, just a super person. And, but it makes you realize why they're so successful. You know, I, know, I need they, to be nicer. So much, they're so much more on the ball than we are. Because they're nicer and better people. Right. Right. Maybe that's a lesson. Beings. That's hmm, right. Be better. Well, look, I mean, the dude's been on an unbelievable tear of 10, 12 games, averaging 40, shooting 55%. The last guy to do it, as we said, was Michael Jordan 31 years ago. But he was physically dominant. Stefan's not. He's demoralizing players right now, <laughs> demoralizing teams, demoralizing well coaches. Put. He has well it on put automatic. It, it anyway. looks silly out there, the best of the best, and he's just – I don't know, having his way with them and not, and it's just fun to watch. I don't yeah. know. And, just, and if you enjoyed, if the watch. listeners enjoyed that out there, if they enjoyed that, go back, listen to our debut episode with his father, Del Curry. 
uh, get some more Steph stories, some Seth stories. He has good stories about both of them. Uh, what a family. Uh, really fortunate and happy that Steph and dropped by. I want to thank everybody for uh, coming along, uh, listening to the Rex Chapman Show with super sexy Josh Hopkins, powered <laughs> by basketballnews.com. Subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time.